0: Everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Well, good morning, church. I want to invite you to open your scriptures with me. We're going to look at John 17 verses 1 through 5 as we start a new series talking about revival. Five shifts that we need to make to be ready to host revival right here. And we want to look at John 17, so I encourage you to turn your Bible on or navigate to it right now. And uh, I know that some of you, it takes a little bit, you know takes a minute to get there. I'm, I'm giving you a little time here uh, to get to John 17. And we're going to be in this passage all the way through the series And as we open the scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, your word comes to us wherever we are, no matter how we're feeling, no matter what we're going through, no matter the the amount of stress, no matter the amount of anxiety, no matter the the amount or lack of peace. Jesus, you speak your word straight to us and we know that you're there and that you love us. Open our hearts to receive your word today. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. John 17, verses 1 through 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is God's word, and we're grateful. Friends, God is up to something in the middle of all of this mess. God is doing something big, and global pandemic is becoming an occasion for a global awakening, and I'm beginning to believe that we are going to see revival in 2020. It was almost a year ago that I suggested this, this series to our staff. I said, folks, this is kind of bold, but be praying with me. I think God wants us to talk about revival after Easter next year in 2020. Can you believe that? And now everybody's talking about revival. From the USA Today to to Wall Street Journal, there are articles, people writing about a general awakening to faith, a a general openness to pursuing God and understanding the things of God. Awakening. Revival. Revival. And as we prayed about it, as I prayed about it, you know, we talked about it, I thought, okay, well, how are we going to get our people to step out of the status quo? Like, if we're going to talk about revival and, and the shifts that the church needs to make, well, how can we get our people to, to step out of, of the regular run-of-mill lives? How can we get them to think objectively about church, kind of from the outside? How can we get our people, you know, to, to step out of the status quo and, and out of the rut and, and calendar and the, the day-to-day run-of-the-mill habits of their life and just the go, go, go? How can we get them to just stop? Well sorry, I think I caused a global pandemic. No, it wasn't me. I'm sure it wasn't me. I mean, I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. But, but here we are. Here we are. A.W. Tozer said that rote produces rut that leads to rot that kills revival. Well, friends, nothing is rote, and we're out of the rut. You can forget the rot. We're ready for revival. And what is revival? When I say revival, what am I talking about? Well, it isn't something that we do. It's something that God does. But we can pray for it. We can prepare for it. We can get ready for it. But it's something that God does. Periodically in history... There is a stirring up and a pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God over the people in a way that sharpens service and deepens devotion and leads many, 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 many to saving faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. You can find it in the Old Testament, it happens. But the first kind of moment that I think about in scripture is the New Testament, Acts chapter two, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost over the people and thousands come to faith right in that moment. I think also of the early church itself. How this, uh, this very small group, this very small illegal sect in very short period of time grew to take over the entire Roman Empire. Revival. There were revivals in medieval times, the renewalists and the reformers and, and the pietists. And, 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 and then I think about the Great Awakening here in the United States in the 1700s. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley was, was part of that from the UK. There was a revival in 1907 called the Pyongyang Revival in Korea. It was started by, by two women who started a a prayer meeting. Their names were Mary Color White and Louise Horde McCulley. They started a prayer meeting. Hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ in Korea over the past years. They send missionaries to us. There was a revival in 1904 called the Welsh Revival that spilled over into the Azusa Street Revival in California. Friends, friends, this is revival. God does this periodically from time to time God does this there's a stirring up and a pouring out of the spirit of God over the people of God God saves souls thousands at a time I'm praying for it I want you praying for it and I want us preparing for it a lot of times plagues and famines and natural disasters they produce this kind of thing crisis leads to Christ In the early church, it was measles. In the Great Awakening, it was smallpox. Right now, it is COVID 19. And people are asking, Do I have the answers that I need? I thought I was so sure, I was so certain of my life, I was so sure that we were so in control of everything. But now, I don't know. Do I have the answers that I need? I'm thinking, I I might need God. We might need God. There's an openness. There's an openness. The whole world is ready. You know, in times of plague and, uh, and, and, and of sickness, uh, the philosophers and the, the nobility, they ran for the hills. But the Christians took care of the sick. So much so in the early church that there was a pagan emperor named Julian who chastised the Roman philosophers and the Roman priests. He said, basically, if you guys don't get on this, if you don't change your tune, our empire is going to be overrun by a religion for women and slaves, he said. See, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. As followers in Christ, we're not foolish, but we're fearless. And it makes a difference. I've got a friend who's a doctor here in the church. He said, Tim, I gave my staff the choice. You can, you can stay home. Or you can come in. He said, Tim, the believers are coming in. Not foolish, fearless. And it makes a difference for Christ. God is doing something right now. More people have tuned in for our online services than we have ever imagined. And that's, that's not just true for us. That's true for churches across the board. I hear it from pastors all over the place. Pastor Craig Rochelle, who runs Life Church, said about a month ago that over 110,000 people had clicked on, see, they've got this button to click on their screen. If you want more information about knowing Jesus personally, he said, and, and this was about a month ago, he said 110,000 people from the opening of the COVID crisis have clicked on that button, seeking salvation in Jesus. Through this one ministry, 110,000 people and on that day, that meant that there were more people who had sought salvation in Jesus through that one little button online than had, had by that time contracted COVID-19. God is doing something profound, something large, something huge. Crisis leads to Christ. And when everything is taken away from you, what is most valuable comes to the surface and comes into stark relief. There's a revival, an awakening. We're out of the rut, we're out of the rot, and we're ready for revival. Friends, to prepare for revival, we need to go through five shifts as a church, five ways to change the way we think about what we're doing here in our church, the way we act, the way we we pray. We need to make a shift. We need to make five shifts and we're going to look at, uh, at John 17, the farewell prayer of Jesus to guide us. And the first shift is this, from confusion to clarity. From confusion, a, a confusion of, of a thousand good ideas, a, a thousand things that all look great, but, but they kind of, they cause you to just feel confused and not certain, you know, to clarity, clarity over one thing. We need as a church laser-focused clarity on what matters most and what rises above every single other thing. We need a laser-focused devotion and passion and clarity at pursuing the one thing that is our mission. Confusion, confusion obscures, but clarity motivates, focus in focus in we are here to introduce people to saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord to eternal life in Jesus our Lord and Savior that's clarity that's our mission one thing John 17 is called the farewell prayer or the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's at the end of his ministry. It's the end of the uh, the Last Supper. Jesus, he lifts up his eyes to pray. And when he's doing that, he's kind of dedicating himself to the Father. Now this is uh, Jesus the Son and God the Father. It's God to God. But Jesus is, he's saying to the Father, "I, I dedicate myself to you. And he sums up all of this mission that he's been on. And he prays saying, I dedicate myself to you in this work. He's dedicating himself to what he's about to do. Where he's going to submit to arrest and, and beating and wrongful prosecution and, and even death. Death on a cross. And he's going to submit to go down into the grave on our behalf. And, and to trust He has to submit to trust, you see? To trust that going down into death, that he can believe and trust in the resurrection. He has to trust the loving arms of the Father that will be under him even when he is lying cold in the grave and will lift him back up. He has to submit himself. He has to trust. And Jesus prays to submit all that work to the Father, But he's also praying for us. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for the church. He's praying for you and for me that we'll be faithful in the mission to the end. So this prayer is our guide as we prepare for revival. Verse one, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Friends, there's a reason when we talk about revival, we're studying a prayer. Prayer is not the last resort. Prayer is is how we appeal to God to do what only God can do. How we appeal to God to bring His power into our, our limited, powerless lives. Prayer. We're studying a prayer. Revival isn't something we do, you see, it's something God does. Prayer is where we learn to fully rely on God, to rely on his strength, to pray for what he's going to do, not what we're going to do. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We don't wanna do what we can do. We, wanna, we want God to do what God can do, what only God can do. My devotions have gotten me up to uh, Psalm 44. And uh, one of the little results of this crazy lifestyle we're living is I'm actually up to pace with my annual reading of the Bible. First time, I don't know, maybe ever that I'm this deep into the year. But I, I got up to Psalm 44, this beautiful psalm that, uh, that, that talks about the faithfulness of God to his people throughout history. And it says in, in Psalm 44, verse 3, it was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It wasn't the people's arm that did it, you see. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face. For you loved them. The light of your face. For you loved them. So they don't look back, you see, on that and say, oh, we did it. They say, God did it. God's light was shining on us. His face was turned to us the whole time. And so when they look forward to the challenges ahead, they don't say, well, we did it, so let's do it. No, they say, God did it. And so, Lord, please, please move. Verse 26 says, rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. That's prayer. That's prayer. You turn to God. So I just want to pause there and ask you, because maybe you're watching me preach, maybe you're tuned in to watch this and that's a little bit abnormal for you. That's a little out of your normal scheme. I want to ask you a question. Have you prayed? This world is, is captured with fear of, of this entire, this pandemic. I mean, this thing is, is, is messing with the entire globe at once, every single soul. Have you prayed? Have you prayed in the middle of this? Prayer is... It's just talking to God. It's just opening your heart up to God. Having conversation with God, appealing to God for help, for rescue. Have you prayed? Have you talked to God? You can't make a mistake on this. Pray. Open up and pray. Jesus says at the opening, the opening of this prayer, says, Father, the hour has come now this is significant Jesus throughout this gospel of John he's he's continually said no it's not the hour it's not the time it's not my time yet but now he says my hour has come what's he saying he's saying that this is it this is the fulfillment the most important part of my mission is about to happen Jesus knew that he came to die for us and that by this death and resurrection there would be glory there'd be glory to God the father there would be glory between the father and the son there would be glory in the name of Jesus he came to die for us the goodness and the mercy of God will be glorified in this. The Father will glorify the Son, the Son will glorify the Father, and that glory will spread. So that's why Jesus said, verse one, after this Jesus uh, looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, the hour has come, glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. Glory. The hour for glory. Glory significant because Jesus Jesus is summarizing his whole work. He says I know I I had to come and do this. Jesus knows himself and his relationship with his father as someone who is sent with a mission, he knew that he had an errand, a job to do, and he knew that his father expected him to be a part of it that 's why, in verse four, he said, I, "I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world." Began. see jesus understands that he is on a mission an aaron that goes all the way back from before the word came down from heaven and became flesh in john chapter one he knew that his time on earth was a mission and that god the father expected him to be about it now i wonder if we think of ourselves that way i wonder if you're a follower of jesus i wonder if you think about your life that way That you you are sent on mission and you are meant to be about it until that mission is finished. Well, we're going to pick that up a little bit later on in the series. But here comes the clarity. Confusion points at a thousand things. A thousand good things. Clarity points at one thing. Jesus knew his job. If you could sum it up, his job was to give life, to give life. Verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him, to give life. What kind of life? Say it with me, eternal life. There's two words for life in Greek. There's, there's, a, there's two different words that mean life. There's bios, bios life. That's like biological life. Something is living, breathing. It's, it's the way like scientists would, would define life as something that grows and interacts with its environment. Okay, biological life. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. The other word is zoe, eternal life, full life. That's what Jesus is, is bringing That's what Jesus has authority to offer. Zoe, and it's Zoe Ionion. It's it's life that goes on and on. It's eternal life, full life, whole life that goes on and on forevermore. But that's not the great thing about it. The great thing about the life that Jesus brings is not just that it goes on and on forever. It isn't chronology that makes his life beautiful. It's quality, you see, you can have bio life, you know, you can be alive, but that's, you know, a worm is alive, I mean, moss is alive, we need more. A worm is perfectly happy with its life, you know, it's wiggling through the mud in the dark with, with no beauty, no song, no sunlight, nothing at all, it's, it's fine, but we need more than that. Sure, we need, we need light, we need, I mean, we need shelter, we need food, we need safety, we need those things. But we need more. I mean, we're feeling that right now, right? We need relationship. We need, we need song. We need, we need dialogue. We need contact. We need relationship. Most of all, we need relationship with God. We need prayer. We were made for it. Zoe, eternal life. That's Jesus. He has authority to bring him. And now the clarity, verse 3, now the clarity. John 17, verse 3. Hey, wherever you are, say this with me. Let's say this verse together. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? That they know you. What is eternal life? That they know God and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. That's it. Clarity. One thing. How many options and add-ons do we, you know, do we pursue to... The promise fuller life. The promise more life. How many different irons do we keep in the fire? You know, I keep all these irons in the fire. Keep all these pots boiling. Just wondering which one maybe is going to bring the good stuff. I mean, I keep work going over here, and hobbies, and and you know, pleasures, and uh, and my religious life. You know, I keep that over here, and you know, I've got all these different pots, but no, 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 one thing. Imagine the clarity. Imagine the, the the clarity of one thing rising above the rest for fuller, richer life. One thing that sits above all other things. One thing to be passionately devoted to, to be pursuing with all your heart. Kierkegaard says... Purity of heart is to will one thing. I want you to imagine the clarity in your life of having one thing that is more important than all the other things. One thing that you know matters the very most. Jesus said once, he said, Martha, Martha, right? The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. One thing. Only one. No God. No Jesus. As a church, we've sharpened up our priorities over the past few years. I mean, we've, uh, you know, we've looked at all the different things that we do as a church, all the different operations of this big, magnificent, historic church, all the different things we do. All the things that we're busy with, you see. Because listen, a church can be busy and not getting anywhere. And I'm not saying that that's first press. I'm not saying that's where we were. But we have said, hey, we've got we've to look and we've got to see, are we doing the right things for the right reasons and are we pursuing that one thing, that one thing of clarity with purpose? And it started with the path of discipleship. We, if you've been to a town hall or a congregational meeting over the past three years, you've heard one of us get up and talk about the path of discipleship, right? Because Jesus, he commissioned us to make disciples. And so a really good question for a church is, do you know how you're making disciples and is it working? Because Jesus, he gave us the great commission that we just talked about last week to go and make disciples of all people. And so we've asked, with all these different things that we do as a church, okay, is that helping? With the path of disciples, clarity, confusion points at a thousand things. Clarity lifts up one thing. Focus, a passionate, devoted focus on one thing, one purpose. What is the one thing that matters most? When we came in here, friends, on uh, on Friday, March thirteenth, we gathered as a staff and and we recognized we had to shut down almost every single thing that we do as a church. We had to shut it down. Couldn't do it. We looked at each other and we asked, what matters most? What must we be? What must we do? What's the one thing? And we said, hey, Jesus has been clear with us. He wants us to be light and life for the city. He wants us to be reflecting his light, his life for the city, whatever the city is going through. They need to know that that God loves us and that God is for us. He's for them and we're for them. And so what are we gonna do? We're gonna lift up the name of Jesus. What are we gonna do? What's the one thing that matters most? We're gonna worship well. We're gonna promote the love and the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ to the best of our ability and we're going to stay devoted to it with passion, one thing one thing, clarity of focus, we're not going to give it up, no matter what comes our way no matter what causes us to try to stop or tries to halt us or tries to make it hard, we're going to fight through that for the sake of the one thing, lifting up the name of Jesus, that you may know him and have eternal life in his name, Jesus said this is eternal life, this is eternal life, verse 3, this eternal life that you may know God and know Jesus whom he sent knowing God knowing Jesus one thing we'll never surrender it so I want to ask you as I close do you know God do you know Jesus he's available to you Right now, it isn't anything for me to do to you or for you. God is right there with you. He's speaking to you. His word is alive to you. His spirit is with you. And if you open your heart to him, then you'll see him face to face. You'll know Jesus within yourself. You'll know him. You won't just know his name. You'll walk with him. you love him. you follow him. He's with you. Know God. Know Jesus. This is eternal life. One thing. So, Lord, we pray as we worship that you would draw close to us, that we would feel ourselves, Lord, in your house of praise, in the communion of saints and the body of worshipers, that we would know that we're in your family and that you're present to us. And, Lord, open our hearts to see one thing, above all else, shining light of your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprescos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.